Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. One of those crucial conversations that we talk about on this program is how Congress has just perpetually uh, ceded its authority and its powers to the executive branch for decades now, both left and right. And, of course, we know that uh, the executive branch is all too willing to take that power when uh, Congress abdicates it and gives it over to the executive branch. And we, we see that in so many places. It relates to executive orders uh, where, again, if Congress doesn't act, the president surely will. And then it ends up in the court, and we wonder why there has been so much politicization of the uh, of the courts. That is exactly why. That's the path. Uh, one area that we haven't focused on recently that I'm really excited to get to today is when it comes to war powers. Uh, really thrilled to be joined by Anthony Markham uh, from R Street Institute. Uh, he is a resident fellow there at R Street Institute, our good friends there, and uh, focuses on federal judiciary and separation of power disputes. Uh, Anthony, thanks for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. Uh, you had a, a wonderful piece uh, when it comes to war powers, uh, how Congress, uh, I think, just doesn't need a seat at the table. They need a voice at the table. Then they need a vote at the table. Uh, and we've let so much of that just slip away. Well, that's absolutely right. And I think one of the, you know, you mentioned this in your, the beginning of the segment here, Congress has consistently ceded so much of its authority when it comes to war powers disputes. And the Constitution envisions a deliberate divide. Of course, the president is the commander in chief, but the Constitution actually gives Congress a number of authorities. They, of course, have the power to declare war. They're to raise and support armies through appropriations. They're to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces. They're coming up with the regulations. Congress has a significant role in throughout history, Congress has often just ceded its authority to the executive branch, not even by declaring war, but often through authorizations and broadly written statements, really permission slips for the president to conduct military operations across the globe. Yeah, and I think that is such a vital thing for us to recognize that uh, sometimes we applaud and say, oh, well, that's a good thing. We needed to do that. Uh, but how we do those things uh, actually matter because it's it's not always going to be ideal circumstances. And, and if Congress continues to abdicate and cede its power uh, to the executive ba- branch, we end up with some real uh, some real imbalance, some real life issues. Uh, you wrote about this in in your piece uh, that as the continued war power imbalance progresses, uh, senators and representatives end up with some some real issues. That's right. I mean, if 
the more the more Congress, and especially when it comes to war powers, are more willing to cede their power. And they do it in a number of ways. Of course, you have incredibly broad authorizations, like the 2001 and 2002 AUMFs, which are still often cited by administrations um, past and today to justify a number of operations across the country, not just in Afghanistan or Iraq. But on top of that, you have appropriations. You have given the military significant firepower and with little oversight and and for the executive branch to really conduct operations however it sees fit. There's often little follow-up when Congress gives these authorizations. And the problem is Congress is the most democratically accountable to the public. These are the people we vote for every two or six years. And when we go to war and when we go overseas to defend the United States, they come from these districts. They, they are their constituents, and there are direct consequences. And so this is something lawmakers should take more seriously because it is their constituents that are fighting these battles. Yeah, and I, and I, I just want to reemphasize that. Uh, I think that is, is such an important point that, uh, that you've made, Anthony, that in order to really have these checks and balances, in order for this to, to really work right, there does have to be that accountability back. And if the executive branch, if a president is just doing sweeping things, uh, that's, that's a big broad brush as opposed to a, a senator or a representative in the House that has someone in their district or in their state uh, that is being impacted or sent overseas or out on one of these missions or into one of these uh, conflicts or wars. Uh, having that kind of personal connection uh, and that kind of personal representation really is key, especially as we go into some times that are going to be really troubling. That's absolutely right. And one of and one of the reasons I became so interested in this topic really stems from where I grew up. I grew up in a very small town in eastern Ohio, and it has this infamous reputation of having the most casualties during the Vietnam War per capita of any other town in the United States. Just this, this little small town in Ohio. And it was kind of interesting to see how impacted the small community was by the Vietnam War, largely a war that they had no control of or no insight on um, the foreign policy implications of it, what was going on in the region. These men either volunteered or were drafted to serve. And largely they had maybe they have one member of Congress to defend them, but that person had a huge responsibility to represent their interests and concerns to the federal level. And if they're not willing to do that, then that's such a significant problem for our local communities and other pockets of the country. Uh, so, uh, so critical, so vital. Great piece. Anthony Markham, again, resident fellow at R Street Institute. Uh, when it comes to war powers, Congress needs a seat at the table and they need to be held accountable, which requires Congress to do its job uh, and actually take votes and have debates in front of the American people uh, when it comes to a lot of these military issues. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to take a quick step aside. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk about political courage. We're keeping our eye right now. First Lady Jill Biden is speaking in front of U.S. troops in the U.K. Uh, President Biden is expected to speak next. We'll cover it live right here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.